before we kick the bucket. What's on your bucket list? Well, Simeon had one main thing on his bucket list. And you can imagine why. If God revealed to you and said, well, you're going to see Jesus face to face in your lifetime, I don't think there's anything bigger than that that you could have on your list of things to do. That would be the main thing you're looking forward to. And that's what Simeon had been told, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. For thousands of years, God's people had been longing for the coming of the Messiah. And God said, Simeon, he's coming during your lifetime on this earth. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed Savior to bring salvation to the world. Simeon was waiting for him. This man, you look at verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And because the Holy Spirit was upon him, he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You remember we read that back in Isaiah? The Lord would comfort his people, that he would, bring, that he would have compassion upon them. We read that in those readings that we did there in, in Isaiah. And that's what he was waiting for. God had promised comfort and consolation to his people. And God said, Simeon, that comfort and that consolation is coming in your lifetime. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. And because he's got the Holy Spirit upon him, he lives by the word of the Spirit. He lives by the revelation of the Spirit. He's longing for Christ. And that's what, that's what believers do, brothers and sisters. You, you, you see that here and you see it throughout the Scriptures, that when the Spirit is on someone, then there's a real love for the Word. Spirit and Word always come together in life and in the scriptures and in the history of God working with his people. So, so there's Simeon. He's, he's got the Holy Spirit on him, so he's, he's righteous and devout. He's living for Christ. He's, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's longing for Christ. And now he comes into the temple guided by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He's looking for Christ. And that's, that's what happens. The more that you know the Word, the more that you live by God's revelation, the more that you live in the Spirit, the more you look for Christ. You long for Christ. You live for Christ. That was Simeon. And he comes into this temple court, and, 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 the, and the, there was the court of the Gentiles, and you couldn't get past that if you weren't a Jew. And then and there was the court of the Jews or, or the women, because the Jewish women could go to a certain point, and beyond that, just the men. And then beyond that, there was a court just for the priests. And so they're in the court, not of the Gentiles, but of the Jews, where God's people can gather men and the women and the children. And it's, it's going to be a busy place. There's all kinds of people going to and fro and going through to, to the men's court and, and to bring the sacrifices to the, the priests. It's a, it's a hustle and it's a bustle. There's all kinds of people there. How did Simeon know which, which couple to look for? Because there were probably other babies and other parents there as well. But this is no coincidence here, brothers and sisters. 
the Spirit guides him right to the right couple, to the right baby. He recognizes the Christ. And can you imagine Mary and Joseph's surprise? Some guy walks up and grabs the little baby and holds their baby. What's going on here? No coincidences. God is doing marvelous things, and his father and his mother are marveling as they happen. He took him up, verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And this is something we need to hear, brothers and sisters, as living in the 21st century in Western civilization, our culture is saturated with us and our feelings. And and the first thing that comes out of our mouths in a soliloquy or or in in a movie when somebody sings about how they're feeling when something happens to them is that's what we sing about, how we feel. What is this doing to me? How do I feel about this? What is the impact on me? How is this going to change my life? But you look at God's people under the power of the Spirit. Yes, we think about how things are going to affect us. We think about how we feel. Look at the Psalms. It's the anatomy of the soul. There's every kind of of, of spiritual and, and soul experience, every kind of emotion in the Psalms. We certainly do that as God's people, but we start... We start with God, and we end with God. That's how Mary reacted. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's how Zechariah reacted. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's how the angels began their song, glory to God. That's something we can learn as we see Simeon doing the same thing. He blessed God. Brothers and sisters, When things happen, happy things, sad things, when things happen in our lives, yes, we we process that. We process our feelings. What's this doing to me? What's it doing to my future? How does it affect me and my family? We, We process that, but we begin with worship. We worship God. That's what believers do. And there he starts with the words of our text, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now, often, usually, when the word Lord is used in the Greek in the New Testament, it's the word kyrios, Lord. It's a common word for Lord. But he doesn't use that word here. He uses a lesser used word, one that's not used as often. It's the word, and you can probably figure out what it is in English, the word in Greek, despotes, which is where we get our word despot from. Now, it doesn't mean despot, because despot is a tyrant in English, but it does mean, in Greek, someone who has sovereign power. And so, Revelation 6.10 uses the same word, the souls under the altar, they cry out, Sovereign Lord, how long do you avenge our blood? In Acts chapter 4, the disciples gather together after they're being persecuted for preaching Christ, and they And they begin praying together, Sovereign Lord, you're the creator, you're the ruler. The nations are are conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed, but you are working out your plan as you have predestined. And so this word that he uses for Lord here really focuses on the sovereign power and might of God to execute his eternal decrees and to make happen what he said was going to happen. Sovereign Lord, now you are letting your servant depart. And that's, if you look at your 
liturgy sheet, you see that the, the Latin title of this song, the well-known Latin title in the history of the church is Nunc Dimittis, which is the Latin for now you send away, now you release me. And that's what the word means. I don't know if we use that word in English to demit or demission. Maybe it's a very, um, a, a very technical word or a legal word, but but it means to release someone, the word here means to release someone from a, like a slave or someone who is in debt or who has a commitment that they have to fulfill or an office, somebody who has an office, a duty, and to release them from whatever they're carrying. It's the same word used back in Numbers chapter 20, I think it is, where Aaron is going to die, and he's stripped of his high priestly robes, which are given to his son, and then he dies. And, and the word used for that whole process is the same Greek word that we have in our text here for depart. It is to be relieved of a duty or an office or a commitment. And what, what is he being released from? Well, his whole life was enthralled to that First and primary goal, to see the Christ. And now he's seen the Christ. And now I don't need anything more. I can live another 2,000 years, but nothing better than this can ever happen. I've seen Christ. So I, I can go in peace now. Because seeing Christ changes everything. I can depart in peace, because the Prince of Peace is here. God has come to earth. God in Christ is opening up the way back to glory, and everything is okay. According, says Simeon, to your word, verse 29 at the end there, according to your word. And over and over, the Lord teaches us that he keeps his promise and so spirit-filled praise recognizes that, that, that God speaks, that God reveals, and that he keeps his promises. And so what happens now in the rest of his song here, verses 30 through to 32, is, is praise which is packed with the language of the scriptures. It's not packed with, with human ideas or concepts. It's not packed with the ideas and concepts of the culture around him, but as all believers do throughout the history of the scriptures and redemption of the church, Simeon, he bubbles over with biblical confession because he knows the scripture. He knows the promises of God. And so his song is full of the doctrine, the theology, and the teaching of Holy Scripture. So why can I depart in peace? Well, look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's why I can be at peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. You remember what Isaiah says, 52.10 of Isaiah. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He knew that 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 was the prophecy, that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And, and Simeon says, well, that's happening right now. I'm seeing the salvation 
of my God. But he uses, look at that word salvation there. In English, it's a pretty abstract word in a way. It's a concept, salvation. But he uses a form of the word which makes it very, very concrete. And let me give you an example with another word, which in English I think will demonstrate what he's doing here. You can talk about love in English, and love is beautiful, but it can be very abstract, love. But then you can look at your, your, your wife or your husband or, or your child, your parent, and you can say, there is my love, my love, there. You're, you're, you're incarnating your love, right? The person you love, you, you call them my love. And so something abstract and beautiful, you make it real. It's there in flesh and blood. That's what Simeon does with the language he uses here at the end of verse 30. He uses the word for salvation, which means that this little baby is my salvation. That he is the saving thing of God. That he is the instrument of God's salvation. And so Simeon's saying, my eyes have seen God's salvation right here in my arms. I'm holding him in the flesh. This little baby is my salvation. Verse 31, salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. God didn't do all the preparations over the thousands of years leading from the fall to the conception and birth of our Savior. He didn't do that in the dark or behind the scenes, but he made it public. What he was doing, that there would be a descendant born of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He said that since Genesis 3.15. It is a worldwide promise to the human race. And because the world became darker and darker and more and more unbelieving and people started turning their backs on the gospel in order to keep the flame of the gospel alive, God took Israel and made it a little container to keep the gospel alive in the nation of Israel. But the purpose was always not just for Israel, but to keep it alive for the world. The gospel was nurtured and protected and grown in the nation of Israel. It was prepared with a view to the nations, which is why when God, he, 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 he brings things into very, very sharp focus just in one man, Abraham, and he begins working just with Abraham and the people of Israel. But even as he does that, he says to Abraham, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's looking at this blessing, not just for the Israelites, but for the entire world. And we, and we, we read that in Isaiah 42, verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Now, how was Israel supposed to be a light for the nations? Well, they were supposed to be full of the light of God themselves. And the light of God was supposed to fill them so much that they would radiate the light and the love of God out into the world and to the nations around. And so you look at Isaiah 60. We read those first three verses of Isaiah 60. If you just look there again, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's what Simeon is evoking as he confesses the teaching of Scripture in his song. God has promised that this would happen, and Simeon says, look, it's happening right now. So where is the light? Well, it's right there in his arms. The Word, who was with God from the beginning, who was God, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world, and Simeon is holding the light of the world. And where's the glory? Well, it's in that little baby, the Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Simeon's holding the light of the world. He is holding the glory of God in his arms. He's holding the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament in his arms. Wow, it's incredible. His whole life he's been waiting for this. But what has changed? Well, nothing has changed. This baby just looks normal. In fact, the Bible says he had no form or comeliness that we would desire him. He probably wasn't the cutest baby in Jerusalem at the time. Just another baby from poor peasant parents who had to work hard to survive, to to try and get by and pay the bills. The offering they bring is the offering for real poor people because that's what they were. They have no fame, no wealth, no status that people can see. So Simeon had been told that he would see the Lord's anointed, the promised Messiah all his life. He was waiting and expecting, and and now he holds the Messiah in his arms. But, But life keeps going. Herod rules. The corrupt church leaders oppress. The Romans oppress. The tax collectors oppress. The temple sacrifices and the rituals continue. Life just goes on. This baby in Simeon's arms has changed nothing. And yet, he has changed everything. Because Simeon sees with the eyes of faith. Simeon holds on to God's promise and to God's word, and now he holds on to God incarnate, God made flesh. And when you hold on to the word of God, and when you hold on to Jesus, the word made flesh, then it doesn't matter what my eyes, my physical eyes see or don't see, or what I experience or what I don't experience, because I see Jesus. I see the Christ, and I hold on to him. And all is well, and I am fulfilled, and I am satisfied. The greatest longing and desires of my heart 
are fulfilled and I can depart in peace because there is no higher goal than I have for my life than to see Christ. That was the first, that was overwhelmingly the most important thing on Simeon's bucket list. What about you? What is your greatest hope and your greatest longing? What are you working really hard to get in your life? What is your longing? What is the one thing on your list, on your bucket list, that everything in your life is subject to that desire? You plan for it, you work for it, you pray for it, you hope for it. Everything is directed to that overarching goal of your life. Believer, if you are a believer... There is only one answer. And that answer is this. I want to see Jesus. I want Christ. I want my eyes to see God's salvation. My Messiah. Are you jealous of Simeon? Would it be really neat to be at a, just right now, or to go back in time, maybe that would be better. To go back in time and, and hold baby Jesus, wouldn't that be awesome? To hold baby Jesus? No, it wouldn't be awesome. Simeon's blessing is nothing compared to your blessing. We hold onto a Jesus who is not a baby in humiliation and weakness. But the scripture says that we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We see him there in Revelation with his face shining like the sun. We see him seated at the right hand of the majesty of God in glory, having triumphed over all the powers of darkness by his death and his resurrection, we see him breaking the scrolls of human history, of the history of the universe. We see him as sovereign Lord over the universe and over history, moving everything forward to that great and final day when we will taste the fullness of his saving work. And we see him in the scripture riding forth to conquer with the word, the sharp two-edged sword of the word proceeding from his mouth. We see him in our baptism as he puts his name upon us. We see him placarded before us in the preaching and all his grace and glory. We see him in the Holy Supper as he feeds us with his own body and his blood. And we see him even in our troubles and our afflictions and our pain when we walk the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for he is with us. And we see him in believers who are burdened by great suffering when we see that an even greater weight of glory is prepared for them and that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon them. And as they worship God, even in their pain, and we see him, as the power of his word and spirit transforms this bunch of sinners here, starting with the man of the pulpit, that his power of his word and spirit transforms us sinners into royal sons and daughters of God. 
We see him as he washes us in his blood, as he cleanses us, as he dispels the shadows of darkness in our hearts and lives, as he conquers us with his love, as he fills us with the joy of his spirit, as he raises up generation after generation of children that grow up to love and to know and to worship God. Even though the world gets darker and darker, we see him shining with his light more and more brightly and radiantly in his church, as he transforms our hearts and lives, as he leads us in holiness, as he guides our feet in the way of peace. And when the glory of the Lord is upon us and the light of the world dwells in our midst, then that glory and that light and that love radiate. It radiates from us as individuals. It radiates from us as couples and as families and households. It radiates uh, from us as a community, as a church of God. Radiates into the darkness. Beloved, if we don't have Christ, we have nothing to offer to the world. But because we have Christ, we have everything to offer. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Why does he say that? Because Christ is in you. And so what's, what's on my bucket list? What, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want before I can say, yes, I, 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 can, I can die in peace. I can depart in peace. Have you accomplished the goal of your life? Brother or sister, it's not have I saved enough dollars. Have I lived enough years? Have I traveled enough places? Have I had enough experiences? Those are nice things. They're way down there. The first thing for the Christian is, have I seen the Lord's Christ? Have I seen God's salvation? I want it for me. I want it for my children. To see Christ to know Christ, to hold on to Christ, to proclaim Christ and to live for Christ. We had to say, I have seen the Lord of glory. The light of the world has come to make his home in me. And because I know the glory, I know peace. It's all good. I'm ready. Whenever God calls, to depart in peace. Amen.